the skills of sales, negotiations are two of the most important skill sets you need to have as a real estate investor. If you're interested in mastering those skills, pay attention to this episode upcoming. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So welcome back to the podcast. This one upcoming is going to be a fun two-part episode. It's not going to just be one. We had so much fun, I decided to break it into two episodes here for you. So if you've been following along on my podcast, you probably have heard the name Arlen Dolan a couple times. Arlen Dolan is just such a fantastic real estate investor, such a fantastic wealth of information and wealth of knowledge. And you know what? He's back here again to share uh, an incredible training for everybody. Now, if you're following along, if you've been maybe a podcast, you know, binger, and you've been listening to all the podcast episodes, you would have been first introduced to Arlen Dolan way back on what episode? Episode 24. So we actually put out a five-part series at that time. I think it was 24 to 25. So if you're interested in jumping back into the way back time machine, going back, you know, 30 some odd episodes, you can get another dose of Arlen to really round out this conversation that we're about to have. Okay. So Here's the context. Um, this context was about a year ago now. Um, Arlen and I held a webinar, an exclusive webinar for VIP clients, Inner Circle members, uh, members of the Raising Capital Academy. And we held this Inner Circle um, training program. And we had this training program. And I've had it in the vault for about a year. I had to first get permission from members to be able to release this out into public consumption. But I usually give the Raising Capital Academy members at least a year, in some cases more than two years, exclusivity on a lot of the content before I ever bring it out into um, into a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that. Okay, so the context was that we were having um, a wonderful conversation and I titled the the presentation at that time as The Magic Words That Bring You Riches. And it truly was a collection of phrases and magic words and how to handle objections and how to answer the questions, how to negotiate some sales strategies, some sales tactics. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for what we covered in this podcast. We went very, very deep into um, a lot of role-playing we went very deep into handling objections. We went very deep into the tactical how-to steps of investing in real estate, but more importantly, investing with investment partners within real estate. How do you handle the conversations? How do you negotiate? How do you structure? How do you make a win-win successful transaction? Okay, so that's the context. Now, when we went, I think we went for over two and a half hours by the time we structured in all the, you know, how are you doing, put in the chat box, where are the questions, and we did all that kind of stuff. We were well into it for more than two and a half hours. Um, so what I've challenged the team here to do is to take that, that full-length um, training masterclass on sales negotiations and structuring uh, within real estate and to break it into two potentially 45 to one hour segments here on the podcast. So the team, I think, did a marvelous job. I went through it with them. They did a fantastic job of editing out a lot of the irrelevant parts, keeping the conversation extremely tight, extremely on point, and just pure. This this these next two episodes could very well be very well be the most content rich dense materials per second of any of the podcasts that I've produced and many of them that you will hear out in the marketplace as well. Okay, so like I mentioned, this is going to be a two-part uh, process. 
we typically will probably break it up around probably about that 45, 50 minute mark to, to make sure that you get the full context and get the full message. And you don't have to wait too long. If you're listening to this in real time and you're hearing it as it first comes out, you don't have to wait too long to get the next episode. At most, you'll wait a week. I might even release it on the same week. But if you're listening to this as uh, after the fact, the next episode is probably just sitting there waiting for you and ready to just dive in and you can consume it in one sitting if you like to. Okay, gang, with all that being said, let's just get after it. This is Mr. Arlen Dolan on sales and negotiations and working as investment partners, part one. Let's get after it. Now, just one of the things you guys are going to see here tonight is we're not going to do this too um, high tech. Like we're not going to have fancy PowerPoint presentation decks and we're not going to be diving into uh, um internal rates of return and regression analysis and net present values and stuff like that. We're just going to keep it real and we're just going to have a real conversation. And that's what this is all about is really is about a real conversation that you're going to have with another human being when you're going to have, whether you're negotiating on buying a property, what are you going to negotiate on if you want to wholesale a property, whether you're negotiating, if you're going to have um, a joint venture partner and you're going to raise some capital. Um, You're about to hear tonight from two people, myself and Arlen, who truly have these conversations with people um, multiple times on a weekly basis. Um, yesterday alone, I had two of these types, two of these conversations. And you know what? Knock wood, you know, maybe there might be a $600,000 check on the way to build six new homes in Edmonton. So we'll see how that goes, uh, but more to follow with that. But here's the bottom line is that we have these conversations. We're in the trenches, no, no different than you are. And you're having these conversations all the time. I'm going to start off tonight's webinar with a quick story. But before I start off this story, Arlen Dolan, welcome to tonight's webinar. How are you doing tonight, Arlen? Good. Arlen, are you feeling a little nervous? I'm always a little bit nervous, stuff like this. I'm a shy person. <laughs> uh, oh, sure, you're shy, Arlen. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Uh, Arlen, how long have you been doing this for? That's all, pretty much 25 years. 25 years. And this whole world of online and social media and webinars and videos and all kind of this uh, new technology, it's, it's a little bit... It's a little bit, um, a little bit scary for someone who's been around of our vintage. Yeah, I'm more of a face-to-face person. And how how are you? Ed? So, guys, the first thing I'm going to get you to do is make sure that you follow Arlen on Facebook and a lot of the social media airwaves. He's really stepping up his game. Um, you know, this is not. And Arlen, and I had a conversation a week ago. This isn't easy for you, is it, Arlen? No, it's not. That's it, it's not me. I'm kind of like the guy that likes to be in the corner, like Norm from Cheers. Just quietly stay in my corner. You might be. Arlen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So here's the here's the thing, guys. So our, our, you know, here's the point I'm trying to make is no matter what stage you are in your career, you can always elevate your game. So here's somebody who's been in this for more than 25 years. Arlen, how many properties have you transacted over those 25 years? To your best estimation. It'd be around 300. Around 300? Yeah. Um, do you have a dollar, estimated dollar value? Oh, gosh. I've never tried to figure it out. <laughs> you used to have that down to the penny almost, I did. didn't you? And you gave up, gave up tracking that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, not a motivator anymore for me. So, so somebody who has, let's put it this way, somebody who's been doing this for 25 years, who's transacted more, you know, roughly around 300 places, is now deciding he wants to up his game and get onto webinars and get onto podcasts and get onto social media and put out some new posts. And it's freaky to him, right? No different than you might be just starting and you might be raising your first $100,000. That's freaky too. So we're here to tell you that we understand where you're coming from. Okay. Um, Now, I know I did a pretty crappy job of introducing you here and we're already, you know, knee deep into this 10 minutes in. So I wanted to introduce you, Arlen, with a with a story, um, if you don't mind. Now, I think I've shared this one, but I don't know. So I'm going to share the first time I met Arlen. And it would have been circa, geez, I'm going to really date myself, 2002 or 2003, probably late 2002. I was at a, a, a conference, and I believe it was in Edmonton. And, you know, walking around, all bravado, walking around, and I'm looking around, I'm going, who's the player? Who's the player? Who's the big players in this room? I want to, you know, I'm, I wanted to meet the players, 
right? I wanted to meet the people who were, were the ones that were, were the ones that were taking action. And then almost every person I talked to, who's the player, who, who's the, who's the, they said, see that guy sitting over there and that coach over there surrounded by a whole bunch of other people. His name's Arlen. He's the player in the room. And I said, I walked over to Arlen all, all full of swag. And I said, I hear you're the, I hear you're the, the, the player here. And I hear you do joint ventures and you raise capital. Arlen looks at me calmly and goes, yeah, if you got $300,000, you can play ball and let's have a conversation. And that was it. And I just sat there and go, <laughs> just flat out, just right off the bat, if you got $300,000, we can have a conversation. <laughs> right. So, so Arlen, that was our first conversation that we ever had. Do you ever, do you remember that? I don't remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I remember meeting you though. Right. But, but here's the thing. And ever since I've gotten to know Arlen, um, you know, you, you're not as forthright as that first interaction. You're actually just a big giant teddy bear to be quite honestly. And, and I, um, I, I'll make a promise that we probably won't cry here today, but we may, right. <laughs> in, in one of our video interviews that Arlen and I did on, I think it was a five-part series. I think we had a few tears towards the end when we were getting a little misty about reminiscing about the good old days. So, so Arlen, um, can you fill in a few of the gaps for some of the people that if they're watching and listening to this podcast, can you fill in a few of the gaps for people about who you are, maybe a little bit of the backstory and, and uh, what's led us up to this point of you in your investing career? Well, like I said, I started in 1995 and kind of how I started was um, I had been pretty fresh out of school. I went to make for business and marketing and so on. And I got a job in, um, kind of commercial uh, computer sales, so not retail, but to businesses. And I was probably only there about two months, and then one day I went to work, and that's my first introduction to a sheriff's notice. There was a sheriff's notice in the door. <laughs> Once I figured that out, it means apparently I don't have a job now. So off, you know, home I go, and uh, I remember it was July because it was hot and sunny, so I cracked a beer and was kind of sitting on the deck going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And then I seen a little tiny classified ad in the in the journal it said about you know a little real estate boot camp and i just for what just the strangest thing for some reason i just felt like i just really really needed to go there and again being fresh out of school and not having a job i think that cost about 400 bucks or something i got to go and i was about 400 bucks short so uh <laughs> what does a smart smart guy do calls his mom borrow the money from my mom and if any no you guys don't know my mom but I mean, you borrow money from her, it goes in a ledger. Like, you don't forget, you actually pay it back. So anyways, I borrowed the money. I went to a seminar. I thought it was awesome. I was pumped. I thought this was great. And I remember, at first, I wasn't sure whether I thought I could do this. And I remember, I, so I found a guy. It was, it was pretty small. There was probably only 25, 30 people. And I found a guy. He's kind of frumpy, um, older guy, probably later 60s, and, um, and just didn't look well put together. So I went, I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I walk up to him and I go, so what do you think of this? Do you own any properties? And he says, well, I own 16 properties. And I'm like, oh my God, if this guy can do this, I can do this. So my belief was there instantly. And that's kind of what, what got me started. And uh, from there, I, I got another sales job and I worked, did real estate full-time. And I mean, not full-time, but I did real estate on the side along with a job till 2002. And then I quit my job and did it full-time. Right. How many properties did you have at that time when you went into it full time? When you when your side hustle became your main hustle? I can't remember exactly, but it was actually close to a hundred. Right. Yeah. And I seem to remember you also said that you needed to have like a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and you had to have a certain threshold of where you were gonna be when you when you pulled the trigger to go full time in this gig. Yeah, it was hard for me to pull to pull a trigger because again, being in outside sales, I had flexibility. So I wasn't stuck in the office. So it wasn't hard for me to do real estate on the side. But but I, then I just figured, you know what? Now by that time, I guess I I was owning property for seven years. I basically all I did was sell one of them, put the money in the bank, and went, Well, here's my about seventy-five thousand dollar runway I got to really amp this up and get going. So that's what I did. Yeah. And you were doing, you were doing flipping at the time. Did you ever do like some wholesaling where you kind of didn't run the whole gamut or what's, what was kind of yeah, your special? I never focused on it. My focus was always buy and hold, but I did do some flipping and I did, um, uh, I guess you could call it wholesaling in a way, just some assignment, assigning some deals. Yeah. Deals. yeah. Now, did you have all the money that you needed in your own bank account to be able to do this game of real estate? 
Oh God, no. <laughs> like I said, when I started off, I was barely, you know, able to rub two quarters together. So you had to learn the art and the science of raising capital from others. Right. Which at the time seemed like this really sucked because everybody else I talked to, you know, bought two, three, four properties on their own before they started trying to raise joint venture money, which I'm going, that just seems 10 times better than the situation I'm in. But because I didn't have a choice, it forced me to do, to raise money without, um, without having a track record, you know, without with new, never doing it before. So I did it probably the hardest way possible. So once I had a track record and once I had my own money, it made it so much easier because I had to start off the hardest way. Yeah. Now, I mean, the blessing for me, I always say, I always, you know, shine a light on it is one thing I was lucky is I did have a sales background, which definitely helped. Do you have some formal training or is it a little bit more of training in the real life, real world in the trenches? Well, I mean, with a couple of sales jobs that I had, I had some training. It was, honestly, most of it was probably wrong, but it was training. So most of it I learned really on my own and uh, and trial and error because one of the things I, I knew the best job to take is to take a commission sales job because then you can control your own income, which of course is a double-edged sword. If you're good, you make good money. If you're not, uh, you don't. So. It was good training for me, though, because, you know, what came out of my mouth dictated my paycheck and how I treated people dictated my paycheck. Um, my word, whether I kept my word or not, dictated my paycheck. So everything I did made a difference on my paycheck. So that's the quickest way to learn. Right. Is having the food on your table dictated based upon the, how what you produce. In essence. Right. So when you screw up, you look back. If you lose an account or did something wrong, you look back and go, what could I do different? Not because that's what your boss would prefer you to do. You, you do that because that, that affects your paycheck. You don't want to make that error again. Yeah. Now, guys, we're going to talk about a concept called sales here tonight. And for some people, sales is, um, you know, they, they have a really negative connotation around it and they have a lot of fear around it. And we're going to break it down here in a second about we're going to just dispel some myths and we're going to make it just truly authentic and truly genuine on the process. Now, Arlen, one of your superpowers and one of your gifts that you offer to most people, like your story that you shared was very similar to the story that I had. It was very similar to a lot of people's stories when they got started. And the part that was really that I got from you all mostly was just that you offered hope that we can do this, that we right. don't have to have um, a lot, lot of equity to start. We don't have to have a portfolio to start. We can start without a track record. We can start without having um, a lot of extensive experience, but we have to start and we have to take action. That was the biggest thing I got from you right from the beginning was a belief in myself and hope that there it was possible to do it. Okay. So I just wanted to offer you that, uh, that compliment as well. That's part of, I think that's one of your superpowers is just, breaking it down so everybody can understand it. Well, I don't know if you remember, but I remember when I met you is I said, I said, I know you're going to do well. And the reason why I said that had nothing to do with experience, had nothing to do with any of that stuff, but you emanated trustworthiness and you emanated that you cared about people and it has to all start there. And especially wealthy people, they can actually sense that they've met and been around enough people. You know, so when you have that about you, that's already a big leg up. You could say a lot of the wrong words, but you come across trustworthy and you actually care. And then if you're, they're going to invest with you, you actually care about their money. Yeah. That's, that's where you really need to start. Well, and you know what? Um, maybe some self-reflection here. Sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you first. And I think that was maybe what maybe I was really lucky that I had some wonderful people in my life that put their arm over my shoulder and said, come this way and let's, let's do this. You know, I, I see this in you. I believe in you, even though you don't believe in you yet come this way. Let's, let's, let's learn this. Let's, let's, let's go on a journey together. Right. So, okay. So we're getting a little gushy here, Arlen. <laughs> let's, let's get into, let's get into some hardcore sales, you know, run to the back of the room. We only, they only shipped four of the home study programs and there's only two left. And if you buy tonight, we'll knock $500 off this price point. And <laughs> we've all been to those kind of uh, seminars, haven't we? Uh, <laughs> and, and guys, 
I'm here to tell you 100%, there is nothing here to sell. We're not selling anything. We're not, there's nothing to buy. The only thing we're here to actually sell is sell you on a belief in you that you can do this. That is what we're here to, to, to really do is to provide you some incredible education with nothing to sell. Let's talk about this word of sales. And why do you think people um, have a fear around sales? Or what do you think most people think sales is all about? Well, I think most people think sales is your ability to con somebody into something or talk somebody into something. And that's not at all what it is. Um, like in joint venturing, it's not selling, it's offering opportunities and checking to see if it's a fit for somebody. Um, when I worked in sales, I did a, I, I was the top rep. I did the best of anybody in the company, both companies that I worked for. And the reason why is I always turned the tables and I would act, what would I want as a customer? And I always give them the best advice I could. Always, sometimes they'd say, I want to buy this. And I'd say, you know what? I don't know if that's for you. And here's why. Sometimes they go, yeah, you're right. Well, thank you. Sometimes they go, no, we really want it. And I go, well, okay, I'll sell it to you. Right. But I was always honest. And I think that's a big thing. So I always looked at myself when I was in a job like that going, I want to be their unpaid, an unpaid employee of theirs. That's that was my goal. So in this, in, in joint venturing and selling, it's, again, maybe just in a way you take the word selling out of it. You're just offering opportunities and you're informing people and giving them information and helping. Sometimes you're helping them make a decision like some people, they just have a tough time making a decision. So you might be the catalyst if it seems like a fit for them to kind of push them off the ledge to get them to go. But it's not talking into something that it isn't a fit for them. Yeah. So would would you agree it might be a, a fair assessment to say that you detach yourself from what you want to get out of it and you 100% focus on what's in it for the other person and if you can help them move forward? Absolutely. Right. Does that, that that takes a little bit of the whole edge off of selling something? Correct. And and guys, now don't understand that, you know, one of the things that I'm a firm believer in is as well as one of my earlier mentors too told me is, you know, you're not selling some, you're potentially solving people's problems. And sometimes it will take um, an exchange of money to help solve their problem. And some people might be in a position that that's one of the most leverageable things they can do is spend some money to tap into somebody's network and to tap into some resources, to tap into 25 years of wisdom. And maybe, and, and you can do that for, you know, for, for a, a low, a low amount of money. So it might be just thing is that's the way business is done is sometimes you have to have a leverage point of, People have to exchange money for other people's wisdom and, and information. Is that, would, that you, would that be a fair assessment, Arlen? Yeah. I mean, it's no different than someone getting an RSP. They're putting money up to get an RSP to invest. It's the same thing, right? Just a different vehicle. Right. Yeah. And people have no problem investing into an RSP and getting oh. uh, anemic returns, don't they? Exactly. All right. So... <coughs> Let's let's transition the conversation a little bit and, and let's talk about, um, so really just reframe sales, guys, is really you're just providing a solution to help people's problems and you're just doing a lot more listening and you're just put, having a prescription and offering a prescription for people to help them move forward. Now, Arlen, in one of your recent um, social media posts, you posted an analogy, which I just love and I actually have, you know, I've used it recently, by the way, and you use an analogy of a doctor. And right. when you're having a conversation with somebody about potentially wanting to partner with you, and you use this wonderful analogy of a doctor uh, relationship, can you, can you explain that for everybody if they haven't read that? Well, basically, it's you know if you want to you want to do a good job for people, you know, just get the word selling out of your mind and pretend you're like a doctor. So. If you were going to a doctor and you walked into their office and then as soon as you sat down, they come walking with two bottles of pills and said, here, take these. That's a prescription, right? They go, would you trust what they just told you? You'd be thinking, oh my God, the guy didn't even check me out. He doesn't even know what the problem is. And he's prescribing me drugs. That's ridiculous. But that's what I see a lot of people do in real estate. They could be sitting in front of somebody for the first time. They got a performa 
and, and they're showing them this performance and you got to do this, you know, here's the this, and here's these numbers, this, and here's the ROI, this, and this, and this, and this. Well, you're prescribing before you've even talked to them. So as a doctor would do, you'd sit down and you'd ask them a lot of questions before you start prescribing. Like you'd be asking them, you might want to try to find out what their risk tolerance and investments is. You might want to find out how much cash they have available. You might want to find out um, what their investment timeline is at one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. You want to find out their maybe their thoughts and beliefs on investing, you know? So I've had people come to me because they've heard about me, so it made it a little easier, not so cold, but they, they wanted to, um, they thought they wanted to joint venture with me. But as, after asking them enough questions, I actually found out it was a better for the, fit for them to just invest cash with me for, for a flat rate of return. Now, my belief is I'd rather own and have part of an asset. doesn't matter what I believe. I'm prescribing for them and what's a fit for them. And that ended up being the better, better suited to them because I asked the questions. Now, so guys, I, I hope you I hope you have a pen and paper because I'm trying to feverishly take as many notes as you guys are. So I hope you guys have have that. So so Arlen, some of the metrics that you look at in order to prescribe a good course of action. So here's just a few of them that you've mentioned. You know, a risk tolerance. You know, how much capital they have available could be capital or could be access to a line of credit, both of both cash or credit. It, it, it's important to know where the source of the funds is coming from, isn't it? Right. Um, their timelines, their belief of an investment. Do you get a little bit of somebody's um, like a background of a history of uh, other investments they're in or if they're in real estate? Like what what other what other well, metrics? Yeah, I'll, I'll ask them where they where they have money invested right now. Sometimes it's. People have no money invested. Sometimes they have it in RSPs. Sometimes just sitting sitting in the bank. It could be all kinds of things. And then if where they have it, yeah, you might ask them, you know, what made them choose that, or are they happy with that? If not, what is it they're not happy about? Again, you're just asking a lot of questions. I mean, and sometimes you'll get some crazy answers that you didn't expect, but you you don't know unless you ask the questions. You have to listen. Yeah. You now, now, guys, I've I've listed one, two, three. I've listed like a dozen questions, and you haven't talked about a piece of real estate yet, Arlen, have no. you? You don't, don't. You don't know if you can help them first, right? Right, and, and I could. Go, why would I go off on a tangent talking about a piece of real estate if that is not the fit for them? I just wasted my time. Maybe the fit for them was they shouldn't even invest with me. It doesn't make any sense. They should leave it at GIC and you know whatever. Or maybe they're, like I mentioned before, maybe it'd be better just to invest it as a, just a cash return, like a flat rate of interest. Well, I don't know until I ask the questions. Yeah. It's a fit for them. I have my opinion, but I'm not there to make them do what I make them believe exactly the same way I believe. I will tell them why I believe what I believe, but it, but you have to do what's a fit for them. Yeah. Now, you asked one of the questions, and I think this is... um. You, asked, you will ask one of the questions about how much capital somebody has available to invest. Right. Have you ever had anybody resist answering that? No, but what I do do when I sit down with people, as I say, you know, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. And I'm just asking you these questions, try to help to figure out what's going to be best for you. If there's anything I ask you that you don't want to answer, just tell me you're not going to answer. And I've never had, funny enough, I've never had anybody tell me I'm not answering my question. I've never had it because they know I'm there to try to help and diagnose just like a doctor. If a doctor was asking you, you know, what hurts? I'm not telling you. <laughs> well, it's funny. That's the analogy I used when I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were, you know, what fourth rate with the, you know, I asked the question is what do you feel comfortably investing, you know, to, to start typically. Right. And somebody right. wasn't comfortable doing that. And I said, well, here's what I'm trying to do is pretend I'm your doctor and you've walked in and I'm going to sit there and go, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Let's just cut to the chase. Like, let's see if I can help you and let's find yeah. out where you're hurt and let's see if we can, let's see if we can get you going on the right direction. Yeah. And I think it actually is a lot of time. It, it bodes well for you to be bold because people like to, um, if they're going to invest with somebody, they like to have a feeling or sense that they're a leader. And if a leader is scared to ask a question, you know, or, or a leader is afraid of, a, of an answer, well, they're not a leader then. 
So you may not be the person to give them money. You got to be, you want to be bold, not be afraid to ask those kind of questions. Yeah. Well, isn't it true that you would have a different prescription for somebody who had $10,000 versus somebody that had a million? Would you not have a different prescription for them? Right. And I might have a different prescription for someone that's 25 years old versus 75 years old. All right. Well, let, let's get into some of these. So so let, let's do, I know we're, we're committed to do some role playing here tonight. So how would you, if you were having the conversation with somebody and they were just reluctant to give you a number about what they have as available capital to invest, um, how would you handle that? How would you, how would you have that, ask those questions? Well, I mean, it'd be really simple for me. I go and, you know, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't want to tell me that, that's fine. But if you can't tell me what you have to invest, like I can't, there's not much I can say to help you. Like I, yeah. just like the doctor thing again. If you're not going to tell me what hurts, it's kind of hard for me to diagnose. Again, strangely enough, I've never had somebody not tell me what I asked, anyways. So I've actually never came across that op- that objection. Yeah. And 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 you do it because you just preface it up front as I'm here to help. And if right. you if you want help, I need some information in order to diagnose uh, an investment opportunity. And- right, and I give them. I give them permission yeah. to not answer. And it's maybe it's because I give them permission not, to not answer that they answer everything that I ask. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how, how the conversation I had with the, with the, with the fellow was they were un- unable. And I said, I, I, I don't want to waste your time because I don't know what, how I can present, eventually present you. Um, are you watching the hockey playoffs? And I just left it. I just, you know, just moved moved on from 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 yeah. the conversation i i had no attachment of me doing a deal with them my attachment was to provide them something to help them and but if they weren't willing to give me some a little bit of information i i don't know i don't want to waste their time anymore so, but the interesting thing is they reached out to me <laughs> to have the conversation and then right. i i will i will come back and i said so flat out what is the what was your main intention of you wanting to have this conversation today right and it's a pretty quick question to get to the bottom line of, you know, well, I just wanted to, you know, whatever, right? Okay, good. Now, now we're clear on what the intention is. All right. So Arlen, you've, um, let's talk about, um, no, we've talked about sales. What about objections? Um, what's your take on how do you reframe? Some people think of objections as rejections and they almost look at it that, uh, that it's a, it's, you know, they look at it as a shot on your self-worth if somebody has an objection to what you're doing. Can you maybe share a little bit of insights into objections? Well, first of all, um, objections are good in the sense that they're telling you what the, what the hurdle is that you got to overcome. Unfortunately, most objections aren't the real objection. So you usually got to dig a little bit to figure out what the real objection is. Would you have an example there? What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes you can have somebody say, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I got to talk to my partner before I can answer anything. Yep. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes that's not. I mean, it's easy to, it's sometimes it's easy to find out. Like, I mean, say, you know, say it's, say they say their wife. Well, ideally, you should be sitting if they, if they're married. You should be sitting with both of them to begin with, anyways. That would be a sharper thing to do. But if not, you know, it might be just a simple question, like saying, "So, if your wife was hundred percent all for it, that means it, that you'd be all in then." And then you can look and see: do they stammer or do they answer quickly? Yes. If they stammer, you know that's not the real objection, and it's your job to go back. So you didn't bring enough value yet. Or it's not a fit for them, but you got to go back and, and find out what the real objection is. All right. So, so Arlen, I was actually writing a note down when you said, so can you repeat that magic phrase one more time about the, so if your partner was on, can you repeat that one more time? Uh, this stuff all comes so natural to me. So I, <laughs> I think, okay, so, oh, so if your partner was excited and absolutely want to do this, that means that you're in that. Wow. What a great question to ask. <laughs> Right. You just watch. They might say more than likely to say yes, but you're watching to see if they stammer and hesitate because a lot of times people are too afraid to say no. Yeah. So you have to really, that's why I like body language and why I like being in front of somebody because you get that sense of really where they're at. Yeah. You got to be actively listening and actively watching so you know where you're at. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's role play this. So let's say I, I say, absolutely. She's on board. We're, we're all in. How do you handle that? Okay, let's pick up the phone. Let's give her a quick call. <laughs> and then you're going to watch the body language and things like that now then, aren't you? Right. 
or or you're going to pull out the calendar and at a worst case scenario is you're going to book a follow up appointment absolutely so okay awesome so let let's say let's say that i stammer and i i you know i just go geez i don't know uh you know my wife's not really on board with this kind of stuff already so i don't know if i'd be able to get this past her she'd probably just say what do you russ that's another one of your harebrained ideas sorry if i'm really truly projecting no <laughs> it's not one of your harebrained ideas and we're not having this conversation and i'm a little bit you know we're having this conversation uh you and i and let's say that comes out that my spouse isn't on board with this how do you handle that well let's say so it sounds like you are. I'm watching for body language, right? But then I go, would it be helpful if we just sat down, went for dinner or something, and you brought your wife? Then she could ask me any and all questions that she that she wants. Would that be helpful? Absolutely. Then we do that, right? Then you then you would pull out the calendar and book another time. Right. Right. So so guys, you're gonna come across that where you're gonna have a conversation with maybe one of the partners that's there. One of the partners isn't there. And one of the partners might not be on as board as much as the other partner. And you need to, you need to have all parties involved. And at the end of the day, Arlen, would you ever do a deal with somebody if the other partner wasn't fully on board and it would cause them to uh, have some, no. some issues? No. <laughs> you you answered the question before I even finished asking it. <laughs> no, because that's going to come back and get you later. Yeah. There's no point. Yeah. And, and, and how can you answer that question, Arlen? Have you learned from experience from that one? Actually, I haven't. I just, <laughs> I just know better on that one. That was just one of those no-fly zones that you would never yeah, go exactly. down, right? If, if if both if both partners are not on board, do not move forward, really, because right. you know, guys, it's an awesome responsibility that you're going to be taking on to potentially working with investment partners. And if the other, if nobody, if they're not fully aligned, I, one of my favorite words is alignment right now. If you're not fully aligned in what you're doing, uh, the answer is no. I just don't do it. Okay. No, absolutely. Okay. So let's dive into a few more. Um, so we talked about, for example, um, what are some of the questions you ask for somebody about risk tolerances to, to flesh out somebody's risk tolerance about what they do? What would be some of the, the questions that you would ask? Well, usually most of the stuff I'm kind of doing in, in conversation, so it doesn't sound like the Inquisition, I guess, if that would make <laughs> yeah, sense. You're, you're not sitting there. Okay, question 17. Exactly. Tell me about your investments, and are you happy with their returns? Right. <laughs> so so usually it's in conversation, and that usually comes from when I'm asking, so where is your, where do you have your money currently invested in? And say, someone says RSP. So what made you choose an RSP? And then they'll tell me why they chose it, and they'll say, so what's your typical return on your RRSP? Right. So I'm asking all of that stuff. And, you know, with enough questions like that, you're, you're putting all the pieces together and figuring out how they tick. A lot of people, they don't even know what to answer. They don't know how to answer themselves. They've never thought about it. It's like, you know, you've heard the saying, people can spend more time planning their vacation than making their investments for their, for their future. Yeah. So a lot of times they didn't even think about anything anyways. They just kind of did something. So, so really what you're just trying to do is you're trying to piece together a puzzle in essence. You're, you're, you're getting all the information. You're making mental notes of everything. Right. And, and, you know, this is not a, uh, the right term to use, but I'm going to use it, is that you would then take all that information and then help them to prescribe a remedy for them of moving forward with an investment. Um, Arlen, what would you do for somebody for, for timelines? If somebody, you know... I guess everybody's timelines are a little bit different. So what what if somebody comes in and they say their timelines is they need to, you know, six months or less? Do you have do you have do you have how you handle that or do you typically work with longer timelines? What is what is your prescription you offer when people talk about timelines? Well, for usually when someone says something like that, I I qualify that because they'll say that and I'll say, well, so what what is so meaningful what's meaningful about six months? What's the magic to six months? Right. I just need to, I need to start creating an income stream here within the next six months because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right. Then I go, so with your money right now, what kind of income stream is it giving you? Um, that's why we're talking, Arlen. Okay. So what, so with your money right now, what kind of income stream is it giving you? It's, it's not giving me anything at the moment. Not nothing. Yeah. So anything above 0% would be good for you then. Uh, yeah, I would, well, I guess, yeah, that would be a step in the right direction. So what are you looking for? Like what kind of return are you looking for? 
Well, you know, realistically, I'd love to get into a point of getting between, uh, you know, say seven to ten thousand dollars a month. Okay, so based on what what kind of money is an investment? Uh, I've got five thousand dollars. Can you can you help me? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd love if you could figure out something that works like that. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm going to retire and I'm going to give it to you. But but here's the thing, guys. You you will have conversations like that all the time. When somebody has an expectation of you know, and I I'm not trying to be harsh, but somebody has an expectation of maybe they have thirty thousand dollars, but they want a ten thousand uh, dollar a month income stream in within a year. Now I'm not saying you can't do that. It's going to be maybe a, it's put this way. It's Arlen and I can't probably help you to accomplish that. Right. So it's just being real. And just the conversation that we're just having is you're just being real with me. So let me ask. So let's say I change my answer and let's say, let's say I have access to a couple million, two to $3 million that I'm, I'm comfortable putting up. And I'm also comfortable to potentially qualify for some financing up to a maximum total position of $5 million. Is that, right. is that, is that something you can work with? Yeah, that's something we can work with. Do you got something to show me now, or, or what's what's the next what's the next line of question you want to have with that? I, I don't. I've never shown people specific deals. I mean, well, I have once on a really big multifamily, but usually I'm selling the concept. And say if it's say if they're investing in real estate, I'm showing why real estate, why I believe in it. Um, you know, like I'm looking. I like the line a lot of times where I'll go like. You know, with, with real estate, you have your tenants paying down your loan. So it's like, why contribute money to an RSP when you can have somebody else contribute to your RSP? One of the main things I'm looking for is is try to get figure out what their expected rate of return is because I always want to do my best to be able to under promise and over deliver. Like I've had one guy say forty percent, and and my first answer when someone says something like that is, oh, so where are you getting forty percent right now? I'm getting it within my business. You know what? I actually had one guy say that he was going to give me his money and it was $3 million. And I asked him about his business and I asked him what his ROI was in his business. And it's it's about 40%. And I said, do you have room to grow and reinvest it? And he said, yes. And I said, then it makes no sense to give me your money because why not leave it where you have a hundred percent control? It makes no sense to give me your money. Although I'd love to take it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just being honest. Well, so with things now, now guys, here, here's what I'm going to just share with you. What you guys are watching right now is is a veteran in the in the trenches of doing doing this 25 years. Now, most people at this point of having a conversation with somebody, and maybe somebody said they're willing to put up a hundred thousand dollars. Most people will be sitting there and they've already got a pro forma in their back pocket and they go, "Here it is. Here's the deal." You know, and here's the cash flow. Isn't the cash flow look great? And they all of a sudden just spewing numbers and having that conversation there. You. After how many meetings do you typically have with a person? Do you start actually ever talking about a specific piece of real estate? It varies whether have I ever met them or know them from before. Do they know anything about me before? Right? Because if they don't, then it's going to be a few more meetings. Because at the end, you know, to begin with, it's got to be pretty casual and, and talking personal and seeing if they're a fit. I mean, I like using the analogy for joint ventures of mine is will they pass the chug test? In other words, you know, are they a person that you'd actually go out for beers with outside of taking money out of the equation where they'd be fun to hang around? And they might as well figure out the same thing with me if we're going to be partners. It's kind of like in a marriage. You might as well like each other too. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's it, that is an asset test, but it should be an asset test for them also. So, you know. Did you, did you just call it the chug test? Yeah, the chug test. The chug, as in chugging a beer? Exactly. <laughs> hey guys, you want want to write that one down? Is the Arlen doll? You should. We should get you a mug or something. A beer, a beer mug or something is the, the chug test, and that's what you have as celebration with your with your money partners. It's some. It's spending some time, and these, when I spend time with them, it's actually, it's usually seventy five percent shooting the shit, just talking, just personal stuff, and at most twenty five percent about business. At most. Until maybe the last meeting where you're you're really defining things and setting parameters and and doing your best to under promise and over deliver. Like I mean, Russell, you know me. I like to sit in the bar so low you could trip over it. Um, with my partners, like they're talking about cash flow, and I always say there'll be no cash flow. So yeah, when so that's usually a question people ask. So what's the cash flow in this property? How do you answer right, that? And I, always, and I always say there'll be. I said, 
each time a deal pops up, I'll, you'll have the same answer from me. It'll be, there'll be no cash flow. And the reason, and I tell them the reason why I say that, I go, I can tell you what you want to hear, or I can tell you the truth. But if we're going to be 80% leveraged, and I showed you Performa, yeah, it's going to show cash flow. But the reality is in real estate, things happen. I mean, it could go perfectly. I'm not saying it doesn't. I've had a lot of properties that go perfectly. But one bad move out, one bad tenant, one furnace going down, you know, when you're when you're leveraged that high, it takes up a lot of money. So I want you to base your decision based on there is no cash flow, just like when you do your RSP, there's no cash flow. And uh and and I and, and that's what I want you to base it on. Right. If you're wanting cash flow, is that's your number one priority? Let's talk about we have other options where we can do fixed rate of return investing. Yeah, that comes back to that prescription that you have for somebody. You want to find out from somebody very clearly what is the most important criteria. Are you right. are you okay with cash later or do you need cash flow today? And that just helps you prescribe something. Somebody needs a monthly payment and needs cash flow today. You, you, I'm not saying you can't, but it may be more difficult to have an investment opportunity that you offer an equity position into that person. There might be a private lending position, but it might not be an equity position. Right. And I've had, a, I've had people in the past say, well, I talked to some other investors and they got, and they said every deal I did, they got lots of cash flow. And I said, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, you know, you want me to tell you the truth or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Well, no, I want you to lie to me, Arlen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I mean, I preface it with saying, you know, you know, there could, if, if things go better than normal, they're, they're going to be there. Of course, there's going to be cash flow. And we can decide at that point whether we want to leave it in the company to be extra conservative or if we want to distribute a bit. But I don't want you to invest with me counting on that. This is like, think of it like your RSP. This is a long term equity investment. That's what I want you to think of this as. Now, you also have a wonderful way of handling the conversation. So let's say I ask you the question. So what's the ROI on this property going to be, Arlen? What's your expected ROI? My answer is always is how long is a piece of string? <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd say that. That's that, And you're consistent because that one of the other videos we did too, you answered it exactly the same way. So Yeah, well, I always tell them in real estate, I mean, I'll sit back so you can see my hand, I guess, is real estate doesn't go up linear. Real estate does like this, and it might take a dip like this, and then it ends up here, but it goes like this. So your ROI, I remember when I first started, the market wasn't that good. So my ROI in the first few years would have been, would have looked really bad. Not negative, but wouldn't have looked nothing impressive at all. But then by the fourth year and the fifth year, all of a sudden, I looked like a rocket scientist, and, I, and you amortized the ROI over that five-year term, and it was fantastic. I just tell them why real estate, why I believe in it. And and I, I, I like to always go back to debt pay down because I always say that there's your worst case scenario is over 25 years, someone pays off the mortgage free and clear. The rent is indexed for inflation and you didn't pay taxes along the way. That's your worst case scenario. Under the worst case scenario, what kind of investment does it sound like for you? Of course, there's upside. We've all seen equity appreciation. Equity, average equity appreciation from like 1962 to now is about 6%. But let's not count that. Let's be conservative. It's interesting. I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday. And after our conversation, and I've put, sorry, this was our third conversation. And um, we put a, I put an opportunity in front of them. And the the next level of analysis I'm doing for them is what does it look like? What does this analysis look like if there was no appreciation over the next, say, five to seven years? What does it look like? And then also what is like what does the numbers look like when you start factoring in disposition costs and commissions and all that kind of stuff too? So we just want to get a complete picture with things. So I mean one of the things I always like to go back to people on, I always say is, you know, McDonald's is not a hamburger company, they're a real estate company. They own all the buildings. As a franchise, you can't own the buildings. They own the buildings in prime locations. So how good of an investment does real estate seem to be? All the banks, they own the tall towers downtown with their big logos on because they are bar they're using your money, your deposits to invest into real estate. You know, we've all heard the same um, quote saying, you know, what real estate's the best investment vehicle for uh, wealth. I'm going, 
you know, I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it does make sense to follow the path of least resistance with the most success and do what others do. When it does come time to present an opportunity to somebody, um, how do you do it? Do you pull out a big PowerPoint presentation or do you just have a piece of paper? Like how, how, do you, how does Arlen present? Uh, I do it a lot different than others and there is not a right and a wrong way. But I train my partners um, that I make the decision on what we buy. I'm not running it past them. I said, it's going to be real easy because it's going to be, um, say, it's going to be a single family property. It's going to be a single family house. It's going to break about even and we're going to have debt paid out. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. Um, after the fact, like I always like to give them pictures and, you know, do stuff like that. But I want, I'm the one analyzing the deal. And the reason why it's because that's why they have me. Uh, and I always, sometimes it's kind of a joke. I always joke around and tell them, I go, here's the thing. Like I'm saying, say I'm using you, Russell, as an example and say you're an engineer. I go, here's the thing. Um, this is what I do is real estate. And, and, um, and if you're investing with me, th that's awesome. But you're also running your engineering firm and making money from that, right? This is how I make money. So I'm more motivated to make money than you are. Because worst case scenario, we don't make any money. You still got your income. You're still making your money from your engineering company. But I made nothing. And, and Russell, I really like you, but I can't afford to work for free. So I'm more motivated than you to make money. So I need you to empower me to make the right decisions for us. That's why you have me. And then I'll turn that around again with, a, say, you have an engineering firm. And I'll say, Russell, let's pretend in your engineering firm that you have the opportunity to double your capacity because something great just came up, but you need a million dollar injection. So you came to me. So I gave you a million dollars towards that. Would you want me to start telling you how to run your engineering firm? No, you wouldn't because Arlen doesn't know what the hell he's talking about in an engineering firm. And I wouldn't want you to listen to me. Same thing goes the other way. That's why you have me. If you think you know, and there's no offense to that, if you think you know better how to analyze a deal or pick a property than me, and you don't need me. Okay, guys, did you um, did you guys just get some of that? Like, now, now here's here's the question I'm going to ask Arlen is, now I know this is twenty, you're 25 years in the business, and you've been doing this, and you have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of these conversations. Um, was it always this way? Did you start like this, or did you kind of how did you how did you get to that point where you have those just matter of fact conversations and, and stating your point was were you were you that confident right from day one or was it just something that evolved over time oh no i wasn't confident i mean i was logical enough to know when i was green that i was green when it came to investing but what i i thought i was always good at is turning the tables and feeling what the person on the other side of the table would feel and what would make sense as an answer and i I actually like when I sit down with people is actually bringing up negatives about real estate. I make a point of it. Even if they don't ask me something and give me the opportunity, I will find a way because one, it's true. And two, it instills more confidence. Like, I mean, nothing is perfect and nothing is shiny. You know, you got the slick talking salesman when they talk to you, this is fantastic. It's great. and It's perfect. And it'll always be awesome. That's not true in anything. So, like, I always have a joke. I say this real estate business would be easy if it wasn't for the tenants. You know, you know, we're going to get the odd bad tenant that's going to give the give the property a little bit of a little bit of a beat down. No matter how good we are, we're going to get a, over a long enough period of time. We're going to get one or two of those. That, that's the reality. So, I like to say some negatives. One of, and we're going to dive into a few of your of your favorite golden words here and magic words here as well. But one of the ones that resonated the most with me way back in the day was, if, you know, and I'm, I, I use this a lot in different contexts, but if you don't make money, I don't make money. Right. And, you know, and I'm in the business of making some money. So I have, I have an incentive to, to make you a lot of money, something like that. Did I, did I do it justice, Arlen? No, yeah, that's, no, that's right. It's like, you know, I like to say, you know, if you don't make money, I don't make money and I don't work for free. Yeah. No, I like you, but not that much. I always like to, I always like to joke around, right? Yeah. Um, so that's absolutely true. Now, what are a couple of the other your favorite? Um, what you would call, you know, maybe some car conversation starters and and uh, magic words and and just things on how you you just 
I, I call them would probably reframing the conversation. Now, I know you we had had a conversation about this earlier. What would be some of your favorite reframes of conversations? Uh, I like, especially for somebody new, um, I didn't use this at the beginning, but it would have been nice if I would have thought of that at the time. But I like when you start, as go, if you're trying to present some a real estate deal or just the idea of joint venturing, which is what I like to do, not, not present a deal, is saying like, you know, I'm not sure this is for you, but... And the reason why you do that is because when you say it to somebody in their subconscious brain, you just took the sales pressure off because you already gave them an out. I'm not sure this is for you, but, and it puts people at ease and and actually opens up their mind to actually listen now instead of resist what feels like or sounds like a sales presentation. Okay. How would you, how would you, what would you put after the but typically? So it, it might be something like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure this is for you, but would you be interested in partnering with me on a real estate deal? Or if you even wanted to soften it up even more, you might say, I'm not sure this is for you, but would you happen to know somebody that may be interested in partnering on a real estate deal like this? Yeah, that even takes even less pressure off. Right. That's an absolute gold. And, and here's the thing is, then once you start sharing some of the ideas and concepts and visions and stuff like that, that person may just come around and just go, man, I, I want to have that opportunity. Exactly. I remember I was having a conversation and I was sharing with some investment partners and I was sharing all these deals and I was having somebody was with me there just, you know, as part of the, the conversation. And the person came to me and finally said, well, why, why aren't you offering me? The, aren't you offering me those opportunities at the same time? The fear of missing out sometimes is a very powerful force for people. What do you say to people when they say, you know, I like to think about it? What, uh, what's a, a way that you typically reframe that? Well, one of the ways I like to do it is instead of coming across as obnoxious and pushy, like if you said, you know, let me think about it. Dude, what do you got to think about it for? You know, I wouldn't, yeah. I'd never, I'd never do that. That's like a, that pushy typical salesman, right? Yeah. Um, you know what I would be, I like to use like the words just out of curiosity. And if you start with that, it just frames it soft and again, not obnoxious, just out of curiosity. What is it that you need time to think about? I just need to find, I need to free up some money that's sitting in an insurance policy. And I'm just quite, not quite ready. It's not ready to come. I'm not having been cashed out for it yet. So just out of curiosity, <laughs> what does it take for you to get your money out of that investment? Well, you know, it's going to take a little bit of motion and moving, but most likely it's just going to be to get the insurance company off their tuchus and get them to you know, light a firecracker under them to pay me out the money that they owe me. So does this make sense then to do what we talked about, get the money out of there and get it invested with me? Does that seem to make more economic sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I just, it's just not, I just have to think about it. You know, you know, now that I think about it that way, you know what? Absolutely. I think it does make more sense. It would be well, sitting- I, I don't know. You, you know better than I know, but if, if, if doing the stuff with me would give you a higher return, I don't know why we would wait. It doesn't matter to me, Russell. But I mean, every day you wait, it's costing you money, which would make no sense to me. Maybe it's just because I'm a cheap guy. I don't know. But I think mean, let's get the lead out. And let's go. Yeah. Arlen, shut up. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's honestly, I, I almost was going to make a joke that I need to put my wallet away because every time I have a conversation with Arlen, it's just like he's so logical in the conversation. I have nothing left to offer him other than Arlen, just take my money, please. <laughs> well, you know, you actually said the magic word is logic. You're just trying to work logic with people. You said the word right there. Yeah. That's what it is. It's interesting how, and everybody has their own different style. You're 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 a little bit more on the logic with people. I, I'm a little bit more on the emotion side of people. Like I ask people questions of, you know, let's say we put ourselves five years into the, seven years into the future and you made $150,000 from this investment. What would you do with it? Like, what would you do with your money? I'm going to ask you the question, Arlen. Let's say in seven years' time, we made $150,000 and you got $150,000. What would you do with that money? I don't know. And that's why I don't ask the question because I just find most people will answer, I don't know. Oh, Arlen, just play with me for a second. What would you do with it? If, if I sit there in seven years' time, you got $150,000, what would you do with it? Would you go travel? I might buy a fancy boat. How a fancy that? boat? What kind of boat would you buy, Arlen? I don't. <laughs> uh, describe the boat to me. You know, Russell, I've never thought about it. Well, um, are you partial to Campion boats or are you partial to Sea Rays? Or what's the, what's a fishing boat? What kind would you like? 
you know what? It'd probably be a fishing boat because I'm going to be too, by then I'm too old to water ski and wakeboard anymore. So it will definitely be a fishing boat. Yeah. How yeah, old are the kids? Seven years from now, how old are the kids? Oh, I got to do math five times three, Russell. You're making my life hard here. Yeah. It'd be like uh, 23, 20, and 18. So all of them would be sort of in the drinking age. Oh, in Alberta, absolutely. What, 12 is the drinking age, isn't it, in Alberta or something? <laughs> yeah. So you guys could all be sitting on your boat in the fishing boat with a beer in your hand pretty well and having a beer. and yeah. Nothing better than a cold beer and a fishing rod on a nice summer's evening. And you're sitting on the boat that you just paid for with the $150,000 that we did in a real estate investment opportunity. Wouldn't that be right. kind of cool to have that to have that come to fruition? Yeah. So would you be interested if I could show you a plan or a path on how we can get you $150,000 in the next, say, seven to 10 years? Sure. Okay. You just gave me permission to make a presentation of an opportunity to you. Right. Right. So, so different styles, a little bit different. I did a little bit more from coming from an emotional side of both putting you in the picture of the fishing rod and the beer and the kids and the fishing boat. And what would you do with it? You do a little bit more from the side of a logic. And I think somewhere between those two, there's something very powerful. If you can do both of them at the same time. Right. And for me, I mean, I do a lot of things different too. Like I, I, I'm kind of closing or selling with logic, but along the way, I mean, what we're doing, it, it's not, natural and it's not real but i'm i'm always using humor like i'm and i'm pretty ballsy in my humor too because you know I, one of the things i'll say to people sometimes are joke i'll be joking around with you dude you sound so cheap that the only way you let go of a nickel is to get a tighter grip like let's go let's get this going you know i'll, I'll always joke around and have fun and get them laughing that's that's for me and i think it sets my nerves a little bit at ease too but for me that's what's fun yeah. So I like sarcastic humor and uh, I like to get people laughing because yeah. I think half of it is if I'm fun and I pass the chug test for them, they're more apt to do something with me too. Yeah. It's and, not bull crap. It's all real. And we do, have fun. We, we tend to do business with people we know, like, and trust. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I would imagine for you, if you ain't having fun doing a transaction or deal, work on somebody, it's, it's probably a hard no. Yeah. And I, mean, I remember years ago, I heard from somebody too, and I never forgot it. I actually wrote it down. You know, their version on selling, they always, they always said, uh, there's three E's, entertain them, educate them, and then empower them to invest with you. So entertain them. That's, that's where I have my humor. That's where I have fun. Nice. Nice. So guys, I hope you're uh, keeping track of a couple of those phrases that Arlen has used. I, I might have to get this one transcribed or something, Arlen, because there's just that much gold in it that we have to pull things out. So I, I made note of here is I'm not sure if this is for you, but that's one of your, your, your magic words. And then another one is just out of curiosity, right? Is right. another one. Do you have any other ones that you use that you like to share? Well, sometimes it, this is a good one to remember, especially if you get stumped and you're not sure what to say or do when someone asks you something or they say, I don't have time, you know, I don't have the money right now. I need to speak to my partner and all that kind of stuff. If, if you kind of brain lock and don't have time to say, what makes you say that? Now you have to watch your tone. Like if I said, what makes you say that? That wouldn't come <laughs> off too good, right? If you go, you just, you do that confused look and go, well, what makes you say that? And they'll expand and explain it. And then you just got your answer. So that's a really good one. That, that's a very universal one. What makes, so guys, I hope you're right, hoping right in that down. What makes you say that is another right. one. Someone could say, it could be anything. It could even be, a, well, I want 25% return on my money. Well, what makes you say that? Because well, I, I want it. Yeah. Okay, well, but what makes you say 25? Yeah. And I have no idea what they're going to say, but they're going to tell you. And it gives you a better idea where you're at and if you're a fit. Yeah. And sometimes at that time, it's a good place to, if somebody is maybe making, um, uh, something that they want that's maybe a little bit um, outrageous, right? right. Um, you know, I, I often soften that sometimes with, you know, I sit there and tell you somebody wants something that just sounds a little bit outrageous. And I often soften with, yeah, I wish I was six foot seven and could dunk a basketball, right? And, and had a full head of hair. Unfortunately, right. that ain't going to happen here. I can only do what I can do, right? So what's your, what's your next choice? Yeah, I, I kind of have a can line. I do that all the time too. When I get something like that, my line is always, you know, if you have, you know, 
if you told me I had to drive to Calgary in 15 minutes, it doesn't matter how much of a reward you're going to give me, it can't be done. So, you know, there's nothing I can do. I'm not getting to Calgary in 15 minutes. Yeah. Can't do it. Um, any other magic phrases that you use that uh, come off the top of your head here? Another good thing to do with people, especially if you're on the phone call or, or calling somebody and you want to meet up with them and that kind of thing, is I find is, is ask a question where the answer is no instead of ask a question where the answer is yes. In other words, think of it this way, Russell. Like, pretend you didn't know me and I gave you a call. Russell, do you have a few minutes to talk? Um, your knee jerk is no. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not sure. That's all the crap that's running in your head, right? I don't know. It depends on what he's going to say. I don't, maybe I don't even like this guy. I, you know. But what you'll find is everybody. Well, I should say everybody. Almost everybody will give the right answer when you say, "What well, if I called you up and said, Russell, would it be ridiculous if you could give me five minutes to talk with you? Would that be ridiculous? No, not at all. You'd say no. Yep. It's no is easy to say. Yeah. So think of it, you know, I, I heard a lot of people talk about, you know, getting to yes and all that kind of stuff, but actually it works better to ask a question where the answer is no. Because people are, it's easy for them to say no. It's harder to say yes. Hmm. I know it would even work on me. Someone was saying like, you know, Arlen, you got a few minutes. Well, in my head, I'm going, eh, I don't know. But if they said, would it be ridiculous of me to ask you for a couple of minutes on a phone call? No, no, it wouldn't. no one wouldn't be. So, gang, what did you think? <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I, I sure thoroughly enjoyed part one of this conversation. And you know what? Many of you are probably going, oh, we didn't want it to end, Russ. You cut it off right at the time when it was just getting going and the juicy parts are getting going. Here's the cool thing. You won't have to wait too long for the next episode to come out very, very shortly. So um, if you're listening to this after the release date, the second episode is probably already sitting there waiting for you to dive in. If you are listening to it in real time on the day that it came out, um, leave some feedback. Jump onto wherever you're listening to this. Jump onto the Apple Podcasts or Spotify's. Please leave some feedback. You know, what was the key takeaways you took from this episode? What were the key takeaways that you were learning from this part one conversation? Some of the things for me, and here's the thing is, I learn every single time I have these conversations. I learn something brand new. I learn maybe a new way of handling a conversation, just how somebody else handles it. The one thing with Arlen... That just if you got the the opinion or got the context, maybe what the best word would be if if you got the um what he was trying to accomplish is he is man of few words. He says it like it is. It's to the point. It's on point and to the point. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get to. So can you know? I'm actually gonna. Here's the lesson I'm learning, and I actually have to try to fix this. Can you say things with fewer words in order to get your point across quicker? Maybe that's something I can learn myself an awful lot is, you know, when something could be, as you could say it in 10 sentences or paragraphs or ramble on and bamble on, can you just say it flat out? No, this is what we do. Yes. And here's why. You know, something like that. So that's the biggest thing I got from this first episode. All right, gang. So make sure you are subscribed to the channel because the next episode and part two of this amazing conversation is coming out very shortly or it's already waiting for you. And remember, you know how we end off these podcast episodes in every interaction you have with another person. Always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.